welcome to Act Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about Air of Fire by Sarah J. Mass. But before we get into the book, as usual, Corinne, what are your obsessions this week? I'm finally calmed down somewhat after the ever-present obsession that is Crescent City 2, which we talked about on this <laughs> podcast and totally like flummoxed our entire schedule for this podcast to record about. And worth it. It was so worth it. It was such a fun episode, but I have started to move on somewhat <laughs> and it feels pretty good. Uh, I do have a couple of books that I've read recently that I really liked. One of which is Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. This is a, not a debut novel, but an debut adult novel from the author and it is a sapphic romance. And I feel like I've been on the hunt for a long time for a sapphic romance that like really speaks to me that totally nails like the romance, the steam, the Uh humor. And this was the best that I've encountered so far. And I was really excited about it. It's about this uh, photographer named Delilah Green who moved to New York after she graduates high school. She had a very tumultuous relationship with her stepmother and stepsister. Stepsister's the same age as her, um, but Delilah's father passed away when she was little and she was just kind of always the odd man out. And so she like up and left when she graduated high school and is a photographer now. And her stepmother has hired her to come back to their small town on the West Coast to photograph two weeks worth of her stepsister Astrid's wedding events. And Delilah comes back and she's just basically in it for the paycheck and doesn't get along with her stepsister, hasn't been back in five years, goes to a bar the night she gets into town and is hit on by this woman, Claire, who is one of Astrid's best friends. And Delilah always had a kind of bad perception of Claire and and their other friends because they all kind of were jerks in high school and kind of made some comments that weren't so nice about Delilah as they were growing up. Mm-hmm. And of course, through you know, the, the, the book, uh, Delilah and Claire forced to spend more time together as part of all the wedding festivities. And what I really loved about it was like the romance was great. The steam was awesome, but it really also touched upon like the family stuff really well. And I thought it was uh, really well handled. The relationship particularly between Delilah and Astrid was really special. Sometimes I think contemporary romances in particular try to cram in too much. And then Mm -hmm. the result is none of it works. And here there was a lot of serious subject matter being covered and all really worked. So I really, really liked it. It was uh, high upon my anticipated list for 2022 and worked out really well. Nice. I've got it on my list. Yes, yes, yes. And then I also read this book called Only a Monster by Vanessa Len, which I really Oh, you read that? I did read it. So it is about this girl named Joan. I was like, is it Jane or Joan? (laughs) It's Joan. She lives in London and has been told her whole life, kind of what she assumed was jokingly by her grandmother, that she's a monster. Then it turns out in a way, like she actually is a monster. And what exactly monsters do is kind of not totally explained well. And it doesn't really bother me though, because I just found this book so compelling. Joan has this boy who she works at a museum with that she really likes. And it turns out that he is actually 
the destined hero whose goal in life is to rid the world of monsters. He's the Buffy. He basically is the Buffy, but it really like plays with a lot of the the tropes that you come to expect from something like Buffy and just kind of really plays with the questions of like, what makes someone a monster? What makes someone Mm -hmm. good? And it's also kind of a love triangle, I guess, too, because she ends up escaping from the hero boy with another monster, another boy, their, their families are like rival monsters. And so it's, it was just very compelling and very well done. The end kind of like really hurt me. I was not expecting it. It was like a good hurt, like the type of hurt we like, you know? Yeah. Is it a series or? It's going to be a series. Yeah. Okay. So it was a really promising uh, book one. It is YA. So to read to this podcast and yeah, I just, it was really fun. I liked it a lot. I did just get that in my uh, owl crate. So. Yes, yes. It was, I got it from Fairy Loot. Fairy Loot, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it's a good one. I like it. Let Report back on all your thoughts, please, <laughs> when you get to it. Uh, yeah, so those were two fun things that I read this week, or weeks. What is time? Where are I we? I don't even know. When was the last time we did this? Because I don't remember. It was like It seems like it wasn't ago. that long ago. It was, was it? yeah. Wild. I know. Here we are. How about you? Um, I have <laughs> not. <I'm, laughs> I just don't have time to read anymore, I guess, which is a real big fucking bummer. Um, I don't even really have time to watch anything. Have I even watched it? Oh, I did watch the new Scream finally, hmm. uh, which I was thrilled about because... Um, and it's funny. It's a very self... I mean, all the Scream movies are pretty self-aware about the genre and about... Yeah. Um, kind of playing with the slasher uh, formula and mm-hmm. it's like, it's a whole thing. Right. And this one, it's kind of playing with the whole recall thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, instead of things being a direct sequel or being like a complete reboot, it's like a combination of the two where they're bringing in the legacy characters. And so they kind of get into that and um, it was really good. I liked, I liked it a lot. Um, super fun to like, see some of like the the og people back um even as like flashbacks or it's just like there's a lot of voice cameos in it which is really cool um so there was that um also i mean i haven't finished any other book besides this one in the last you know since we talked last but uh i have started a raven boys reread and if you have ever listened to this podcast ever then you know (laughs) how i feel about that so that's that's going well. Um, I'm also reading Daughter of the Moon Goddess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, that's going pretty well mm-hmm. too. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm not done yet, so I can't, you know, yeah, give a full endorsement of it quite yet. But I am enjoying it. As of the time of this recording, I have about 80 pages left in Daughter of the Moon Goddess, and that will be my plan after we finish recording that is to go finish. Yeah, this. me too. It's been really good. What I think is it's very fascinating about that book is like, it doesn't even really feel like a novel. It feels like an epic, mm-hmm. like a, now an epic, you know what I mean? Like an epic yeah. story. So it doesn't really like fit in the same narrative constructs. I feel like a novel would, it's just kind of constant action, but it's like this epic story of this girl and her hero's journey. And um, I find it very compelling. Uh, it's, it's the writing. And I say this, with uh, nothing but the highest regard for it. It's like very elegant in its simplicity. Like it's mm-hmm. just doing a lot. 
yeah. um, by saying very little. And I, it's, it's very lovely. So recommend that one too, which is also going to be a duology, I think. So I'm kind of preparing myself oh. for an end that's going to be like a big cliffhanger or yeah. something. And we'll see. <laughs> that actually reminds me, I need to put my Kindle in airplane mode so the library can't snatch it back from me because it's due back in like five hours. That's my so. favorite game to play. Yeah. I have so many things. <laughs> and sometimes if you keep game your Kindle, system. yeah. And sometimes if you keep your Kindle on airplane mode long enough, like it just stays forever. Really? I've had that happen before. If some on there, I'm like, I know I didn't buy this. And yeah, they're not very books. So yeah. The hot, hot tips here, folks. You know, you know I love to, to game, this game the <laughs> to, to game the public library. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> it's very rude of me. Listen, I love library and take advantage of it a lot, like in a good way. <laughs> like not in a take advantage of it in a bad way. I've gotten better about that now though. I used to do that a lot, like when I was a student. Now I'm like, eh, I'll spend five dollars on this book. I don't want to wait seven weeks for it, which right. is a bad habit. Again, I think I talked last episode about my Kindle graveyard. This is how that happens. Right. And you know what? Like, it's not like the two of us aren't spending money on books. You know, we are obviously big supporters of uh books, published books, we authors. Are. Um, so you know, if we game the system every now and then, I think it's a big deal. Uh, probably too big of a supporter, for to be honest. I mean, uh, yeah, my bank account would agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> my own personal finances. It's fine. It's worth it. We all have our things. Uh, speaking of things and like things, I spent way too much money on this series, which yes. I own so many copies of. I it's too many. No, it's not. It's perfect amount. I have right. the UK paperbacks. Then I have hardbacks which i put the fancy like nerdy ink dust jackets on and then oh, i have so pretty i love them and then i have uh the like eight book kindle bundle which is very mm-hmm. unwieldy it's too many books in one it's bundle. you know what and i was like oh this is going to be great to have all of them in one th- it's bad it's bad because you're like in the middle of queen of shadows or something and it's like you're 20 percent in you, you have no way of following yeah. like knowing where you are in the book it's very confusing and then when you're going through your kindle notes or like your highlights it goes through all of them so if you're trying to highlight yeah. like go back and look at your queen of shadows highlights you have to scroll through all of your previous highlights, the throne of glass, the crown of midnight, the assassin's blade, the air of fire. You have to scroll through everything to get to it's impossible. It's very frustrating. I'll be glad when we get to empire of storms and kingdom of ash, which I own like independent of the bundle. Yeah. And I have a lot of highlights already saved. Yeah. I've been thinking, I'm like, should I just get queen of shadows out of the library again separately? So I can oh, just go idea. through. Yeah. And that probably has your, um, my original like, highlights. Yeah. Smart, smart yeah. plan. I think that you should do that. Well, friends, this is what you came here for, right? Like <laughs> how the sausage is made at Act Age. <laughs> how we go about reading these books. But that's all to say we spent too much money on Sarah Jimmy's books in our <laughs> lives. But strategy. Here we are. Uh, so one of the things, friends, that we realized we forgot to do today, and we're just going to like wing it. And maybe this will be like how we do things going forward is like ad lib together a summary of this book because neither of us looked one up or wrote one. This feels like a test. It feels like a pop quiz that I'm about to fail. <laughs> it does. So we go like <laughs> character by character. Like, sure. Great. I'm going to start yeah. with Selena. She's gone to Wendland, meets Rowan. He is 
blood sworn blood oath to Maeve, who is like the queen of the Fae there in that side of the world. And Selena wants information from Maeve about the word keys, etc. But Maeve is like, nah, girl, you need to embrace your powers before you are worthy of entering my realm. And so she sets Rowan up to train her. And that training does not go very well first. <laughs> very antagonistic relationship. But eventually Rowan encourages Aelin to be Aelin to embrace her fey heritage, her heritage as the rightful queen of Terrison. They go through a big emotional journey together. We're going to talk a lot about that here today. Meanwhile, back in Adderlon, we've got Kale fighting with Dorian because Dorian's got magic. Kale's like sort of aligning with Adian. Yeah, he's having an existential crisis because his girlfriend, who he loved, is actually queen and his enemy. And Dorian has magic, which kind of is also not great because magic is the enemy in their kingdom. Lines himself with Adian, who is Aelin's cousin. And is pretending to be a loyal general of the King of Adderlon, but it's really just a ruse to try to find out information and try to save Terrison. Dorian, but during this time, doesn't have Kale, doesn't have Selena. Actually, makes it really sad. He's just like by himself with his magic. Yeah. And then he hooks up in every sense of the world <laughs> word with Sorsha, who is a healer, and she helps him wield his magic. And I'm going to cry already. That leads to one of the most horrific things that Sarah J. Mass has ever written, uh, which is at the end, the king confronting Dorian, accusing Sorsha rightfully of being a rebel informant and beheading Sorsha in front of Dorian. So sad. He then tries to kill Kale. Dorian exposes his magic in that moment to save Kale. Kale escapes. Dorian is collared with a word... uh, Valg collar situation and Adian is taken prisoner by the king in an attempt to set a trap for Aelin. Kale escapes with Fleetfoot. It's very uh, important. Yes. He goes to get Fleetfoot. Fleetfoot is is safe uh, Mm -hmm. for now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then meanwhile, Manon, we're introduced to Manon. Manon! Oh my God. uh, A witch. How did I forget Manon? Uh, You know, she's. She's out there girl bossing, uh, being a bad bitch. She and her coven have been summoned to, um, what is it? Like the room mountains or something to, uh, to, to get trained with these, um, wyverns, which are like big dragons. Um, Manon is fighting to become like a wing leader, which is like the head of all the covens in, um, the king's uh basically his aerial army um and in exchange for uh you know if they fight for the king then they will eventually get their kingdom of like the the wastes back and so um manon gets her her wyvern it's not the one she originally intends to get it's kind of a softer one manon has been told her whole life that she is soulless all the witches are soulless they their only value is in how vicious and cruel they are and um uh what am i missing here she's got her 13 um i guess 12 not counting her yeah by the end like kind of through abraxas her wyvern she has this moment where she saves one of the rival clan's heirs Mm -hmm. and is kind of punished by her awful grandmother for this but you know it's kind of a softening 
um, not yes. a week, and not in a bad way, like in a, mm-hmm. I am not a heartless person. I can still have consideration for others and be a badass. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, I think that's we, it. I think that's it. Yeah. I was yeah. Like, yeah. That's it. All of my respect and love in the world's Manon Blackbeak, who I love so much, but her, her plot in this book is very disparate from the rest of the action, which way more interweaves and that changes going forward. Mm-hmm. But at, I remember the first time reading this book being like, I'm liking what I'm reading here, but I also am so desperate to know what's going on with the other people I know already that this feels kind of hard to uh, devote time to. At first, for sure, too. Like, I remember at first being like, okay, like, I know I'm supposed to like Manon because I have you to kind of lead me in the right direction. So I was like, I know Manon is great. I mean, she's a hot, mean girl. Right. She's a hot, mean girl. That's that's our whole vibe. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just remember being kind of like, well, like she seems fun, interesting, but like, she's not a part of, you know, she's like the new character here without the benefit of, of being around any of the other old beloved characters like Rowan. Rowan is a new character, but he is a part of uh, Aelin Sashlena's journey. So we have that connection. Manon is kind of very disparate from everything else. Yeah. But her, her story, I mean, once, once she meets Abraxas and that whole thing starts, it's you're in. Yeah. Abraxas's baby. We baby. both wrote that separately B, in our baby. notes, by Did the we? way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because he is. He is baby. Uh, he is not, as you said, the original wyvern that Manon kind of seeks out. She seeks out like the most lethal one. And Abraxas mm-hmm. is actually like the bait. Was he has a term? Bait, bait beast. Bait beast. Yeah. So like they bring him out, poor thing, to like rile up, rile up nasty mm-hmm. wyverns. And she actually is in an, in an attempt to get this more vicious one, like sees something in Abraxas and they connect and they definitely can communicate. And she sees that like he's he's super smart and he's strategic and he uses his smaller size to his advantage and and all of these things. And she really just bonds with him. And it's really special to read. It is. It's incredible. And I think that like the best quote that really summarizes that is like, um, the bait beast had trounced him, not because he was bigger or stronger, but because he wanted it more. Titus had been a brute and a killer, yet this wyvern before her, he was a warrior. And what I love about the Manon and Abraxas thing is that you know, originally she goes after Titus, who is this big, vicious, cruel beast. And she's like, yes, that is me. But that mm-hmm. isn't her. Mm-mm. That isn't her at all. That's that's the her that she wants to be. That's the her that her grandmother has tried to beat her into being. And it just isn't it isn't her. Right. So the way she she describes Abraxas here is her. She's describing her true self. And I think uh, the whole all of it is just so good. And like the way she has to push Abraxas to like fly and like do Mm -hmm. all these things that he has to do in order for them both to survive this challenge that they're on. It's a, a great, like subtle way of pushing herself too. She just doesn't realize it. I mean, like she's going, she's supposed to be like totally unfeeling. Like she talks about her 13, like the, her coven around her who are her closest allies and fighters. But like, she says all the time, like, they're not my friends. I don't, have friends then she's doing things for abraxas like going and stealing spider silk which is super valuable and like 
that maybe I might have ramifications. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it's a very big thing that she does. So she's doing like kind of very caring things. And it's also like begrudgingly accepting of a Braxton's softness. Like I think of the scene where he's like smelling he's like, wildflowers. Smelling flowers. Like, you cannot possibly like wildflowers. He's like, <laughs> of course I do. Yeah. There's this passage, and I'm going to save it for later because it's one of my favorite quotes, but I think it's genuinely one of the, the best written pieces of, of writing that Sarah J. Mass has ever produced. But it's it's a moment with Abraxas, and it's just the way that that relationship just really, it changes both of them in such beautiful ways. And it's such an important uh, landmark on on Manon's whole journey, which is going to continue, like no spoilers, but it's going to continue obviously through the next several books. But um, yeah, it's just, it's really incredible. Good stuff. And then this is maybe like a little on the nose and I could like see an argument for someone saying like, this is literally telling, not showing mm-hmm. uh, the, the witch that Manon has to kill at the end. Who's like, they have made you into monsters, made Manon, and we feel sorry for you. Like this taunt to Manon being like, we look at you with pity because you have been made into these monsters mm-hmm. in, in the true sense of the word. And it is meant to get under Manon's skin and the reader's skin. And I think it does. And I I I find that scene very affecting. It really works for me. And it's kind of like chilling to be like other people realize this to Manon. Like, yeah, it's easy to say that mm-hmm. the reader, because you see how awful her grandmother is and things like that, uh, that she's clearly been like forged this way. Yeah. But it's a very interesting like table setting in a way to end Manon's arc in this book alone, which I think is a pretty good one. Like she goes on quite a bit of a journey already, but kind of a good table setting moment for like, where is Walking this going to go a little bit. Yeah. Because, yeah. Like, and like we said, because her arc obviously has to continue, it's not ending here in this book that's early on in the series still. So yeah, she does make a lot of progress in this book, but you kind of have to plateau her a little bit. And like, that's the perfect way to do it is to force her to sort of confront this, this witch force her to do something, you know, like, like take a few steps back in her development there, yeah. like so that she can start the next book and still be kind of, you know, like Manon, she needs to always be that like hot, mean girl. Like she's always going to mm-hmm. be a hot, mean girl, but that doesn't mean that she's not a good person. Right. Also, I think we should just briefly discuss the iron teeth, like legit iron teeth. Mm-hmm. They, they have them and iron nails, like claws that come out. Mm-hmm. It took me like a really long time to picture like what this was. Like, were they there all the time in her mouth? Like what yeah they like happens. come down like, like fangs. fangs in yeah. uh true blood you know yeah yeah and then yeah. they're like claws that like come out and then they see too which took me a really long time reading that series at first yeah. being like what is happening here and then these witches are fucking terrifying they are i love it scary. i love it but they're very scary i like love them too because they're just like in their downtown they're like we're gonna go fuck all these men and i'm like maybe kill them i don't yeah. know it's just it's gonna be great yeah what a mood it is uh, yeah, I, I love them. Yeah. Um, also, like, just on reread, like, it, all of this is so much better. All of her, her 13, it's, I mean, when you get the first inst- instances of um, We Are the 13 from now until the darkness claims us, it's just, ah, uh, I want Astrid yeah. to marry me. I I love <laughs> them. I love this whole group. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a good one. So show. 
<laughs> we love a witch. We love a hot mean girl. We were destined yeah. to love her. Here we are. Uh, should we talk about? Should we talk about next? I'm gonna save Rowan and Aelin for that. Let's talk yeah. about Kale. Mm-hmm. I actually have a lot of Kale notes. The Kale Dorian Adian situation. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a lot about Kale. Obviously, early on, he's a big part of the the first two books. Not to say that he's not going forward, but he just really has such a foundational role in Selena's life. But uh, he's kind of really going through it in this book, and it's uh, it it was less tough than I thought. It was like in my memory, you know i I really like. In just looking at this specific book, Cal's arc, because I think he gets called out by so many people in this book. And he ultimately gets to a point at the end where I think he can live with himself and we, the readers, can live with him too. Mm-hmm. Because he has spent this book thinking things about. Dorian and things about Selena, like what's the one quote he says about like, I wish I could take everything back. I wish we could all go back to normal and you wouldn't have magic and Selena wouldn't be who she is. And all of this stuff would, would go back to normal. And Dorian's like, that's your problem. Like it can't go back to normal. Yeah. I think uh, Dorian says, as for Selena, he said, again, you do not have the right to wish you were not what she is. The only thing you have a right to do is decide whether you are her enemy or her friend. And like, first of all, Dorian goaded like a, He's just the best. He's the fucking best. Um, And I mean, Kale really needed to hear this. And the thing is like, he knows it. Like he knows, like you said, he's getting called out by kind of everybody. Um, And it's really important to his journey. Like he's obviously, like you said, not through it yet, but um, he needs to hear all of this stuff. Cause really it's, it's coming from, I think a place of pain and a place of um, there's this other great Adian quote. The fact remains, Captain, that you have not picked a side because you are still a boy and you are still afraid, not of losing innocent lives, but of losing whatever dream it is you're clinging to. Your prince has moved on. My queen has moved on, but you have not. And it will cost you in the end. And I think this is just like a really, a really succinct condensing of Kale's whole problem. I think Adian is completely right. Um, Not to say that, like, I think any of this makes Kale a bad person, which I think he does get a lot of heat from the fandom Um, a little bit unfairly, I think. but because all of this is not coming from a place of Kale being a bad person, it's just him. Literally, he's just being naive and he's clinging to what he wishes were reality rather than what reality actually is. And he just hasn't accepted that yet. And what makes it great is that it's, you know, it makes a great arc for him. Like where we're going to end up with Kale, where we are now, it's, you know, it's, a, it's really worth it to, to watch him, you know, stumble a few, t- a few times here. Yeah. Yeah, and like I do have a lot of soft feelings for for him and Selena too, slash Aelin. Like their love, I think, is really important to both mm-hmm. of them and it has to evolve. And I think it it's okay to take a book or two to feel like this is what he actually says. Like it made her his mortal enemy. It made her Dorian's enemy too. Cal still didn't know what to do about it or what it meant for them, for the life he'd imagined for them, the future he'd once dreamed of was irrevocably gone. And that's a really hard thing to stomach. And I get that he needs to take some time to process it. What made it easier for me to read this time through 
was how rooted a lot of that is though in Dorian. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked on this podcast how Dorian and Kale's friendship is so important. I love all of the romantic pairings in this world, but I will never give up the dream of Dorian and Kale just because I think it's it's definitely there on the page, but it also just is so deeply founded. And I think when you look at so many moments in this book, Cal is driven by his love for Dorian. For instance, mm-hmm. like it's shitty that he's not helping his friend with his magic because obviously Dorian's just like going through this alone. But he also thinks too at one point Cal didn't want to know anything about it. If the king decided to interrogate him, he hoped he'd hold out if it ever came to that. So he's trying to throw up walls to continually protect Dorian. His feelings towards Selena are obviously complicated by his love for her, but also he wants to protect Dorian. Uh, and I think like their, their friendship, you really just get more of the depths of it. Even just early on in this book, that flashback to the first time Selena Aylin met Dorian when she was mm-hmm. a kid, Dorian's like, I have a friend. He will one day <laughs> be Lord of Enyel. And it, like, it's super, super charming. And it just, ah, man, it just, it makes me really sympathetic towards him. This is another quote to you that just like really struck me. How many would stand if they knew what power their prince possessed? If their prince rose up to fight with us, Cal didn't know. And he wasn't sure he wanted to. As for Dorian, he could not ask that of his friend, could not expect it. His goal was keeping Dorian safe. Even if it would cost them their friendship, he didn't want Dorian involved ever. So he's definitely misguided. And I think actually uh, Selena thinks in one of her POV chapters early on that like she was in Wendelin because of Kale's misplaced good intentions. So he's yeah. definitely like has very good intentions. He's going about things like really wrong, but I do just like want to hug him too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his heart is in the right place. He's just, you know, and he's confused and he's a little naive and it's hard for, I think I saw, I saw like a comment on somebody's, I saw like a pro Kale, TikTok or something the other day. And I was reading the comments and it was like, you know, oh, how, you know, making fun of the people that are kind of like very, very anti-Kale where it's like, oh, how dare we allow this, you know, 18 year old boy to take more than five minutes to accept that his whole world is not what he thinks it is, you know? Yeah. No, totally. He doesn't have the benefit of like Dorian where he's kind of forced into this place of acceptance of all these things because he is. You know, he is magic. Kale isn't. Yeah. I think what a lot of that bad rap comes from is from some of Selena slash Aelin's own POV thinking about him. She keeps Mm -hmm. like classifying him as her enemy. And I keep thinking too about like, yeah, Kale's like very misguided in his like kind of blind obedience to the king, but he does eventually, it takes the end of this book, but like get there where he turns on them. But, you know, he, he has a lot of moments too, where he talks about how easy it is to go along with things when you don't know any better. It's easy to be lied to when you do not know any of those people firsthand. That's talking about the slaves in Endovir. Um, It's easy to believe when your king tells you that the people in Endovir deserve to be there because they're criminals or rebels who tried to slaughter innocent Adirondian families. And so he's just, he's, he's on a journey. I don't think it's the best similar type of journey we've ever read. You know, mm-hmm. we're always going to look at like a character like Matthias and Six of Crows as like the yeah. last example of a character who's kind of been brainwashed to think one way and their evolution through that. It's it's a little clunkier here, I think. But 
I do think his heart is in the right place. This floors me too. When Adian says to him, um, after Kale confesses, like the only way I could get her to Wendelin was to like do all this stuff. It was like this bargain he made with his dad being like, I'm yeah. going to go back to Aniel, whatever. And Adian says, I didn't think that kind of honor still exists in Adderlon. And that like says a lot because Adian doesn't take bullshit from anyone. Yeah. yeah. And he is not in, uh, in any way primed to want to like Kale at all. Yeah. yeah. So a compliment from him, you know, yeah. is uh, genuine. To talk about Adian then? Yeah. Uh, literally the entirety of my Adian notes are like, what the fuck is up with the weird romantic undertones of his uh, Aelin feelings? Um, I think it's, I think yeah. it's super weird. Well, because like, and like, we'll talk about it with like the Rowan and, and, and stuff too. But like Selena is, is, or Aelin is like related to all of these dudes in yeah. very, like in a very distant way. Like she's, She's a cousin to Rowan, very distantly. Cousin to Dorian, very distantly. Um, a, a cousin to Adian, much more closely, but not a first cousin. Still, still distant enough cousins for like you know, if if a romantic thing were to happen, then it would be fine, I guess. But I just don't understand why it feels like Sarah is setting them up to be romantically involved. I don't know. I have my notes literally just say, Sarah, I'm going to need you to put down the Cassandra Claire and stop trying to make cousin fucking happen. Um, <laughs> but like through this whole book, there are so many quotes and I have so many highlights. And it's like when he goes to her apartment for the first time and, and he thinks in the sense, still clinging to the entire apartment belonged to a woman. So similar to what he remembered from childhood, sorry, squeaking. Um, so similar to what he remembered from childhood, but wrapped in mystery and secret secret smiles. It was impossible for his face senses not to notice, to react. And like, that feels weirdly sexual. Yeah. Um, he's, Aelin would come back and when she did with, and with every breath, Adian felt that lingering scent wrapping tighter around his heart and soul. When she came back, he was never letting her go. It feels romantic. Yeah. It's not. Um, it's not great. I think it's what she's trying to get at is like the intensity of this bond that they have and like how Adian is supposed to s- swear the blood oath to Aelin. Like that's yeah. like his whole destiny, but she's just writing it weird. And like, I think this kind of goes to one of the things we talked about, like when we cover Crescent City is how like progressively better she's getting at writing writing mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's getting better at writing yeah no she's, like and she's, she's getting better at writing she's getting better at writing romance and i think a natural part of getting better at writing romance is that you get better at writing non-romance like in differentiating mm-hmm. the two so i totally well, I mean agree. you bring up a good point with i mean like kale and dorian she obviously never intends for kale and dorian to come off as rom- romantic but they do she yeah. is just that that aggressively heteronormative they're like she's not yeah. seeing it and, but I feel like with this Adian stuff, like there's so many, I, I put like every quote in here that was every time he thinks about Elin, it's like somewhat romantic. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's, it has to be intentional. There's just no way because this is, this is a female and a male character yeah. that like, she is not intentionally doing this. Yeah. And I think it's an intentional misdirection. Yeah. Cause I think that that is going to come into play with the whole blood oath thing, but, um, there's no way that she's blind to these like very obvious romantic undertones or even overtones that are here. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think 
in the calendar in case and we'll revisit this as we get into later books. I think she knows exactly what she's doing, but like is unwilling to go there for like whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I think there's things that come up that I'm like, this is hundred percent like you made a canon. <laughs> we'll, yeah. We'll get there. Um, but no, I think Adian in this book, um, I don't want to like spoil anything going forward. This is probably the most I like Adian. So, mm-hmm. you know, and he's fine. Um, it's nice to, ha- I like the antagonism between him and Kale. Like it's they're They kind of want the same things, but they don't. And his connection to the rebels is really interesting. Uh, but overall, like, I think he's a fine character. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty badass that he like is playing this long con game with the King. I mean, that's ballsy. So. Like how hard must that have been for yeah. All of this, like the last decade. I'm, yeah. This whole episode is going to be just so much yeah. dog squeaking in the background. It's She's so cute, though. We have to love her. She's our fleet foot. <laughs> she is. Oh, it's our little mascot. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dorian? Yeah, let's talk about Dorian. We're going to be so bad. Through this entire Throne of Glass journey uh, with Dorian, it is, oh, it's already bad. I love um, him so much. <laughs> yeah. um, do my eyes look shiny? They feel shiny. Uh, <laughs> no, I like, okay, can I tell you yesterday after I finished this book, and we'll like talk about that in more specific, awful detail in a minute, but like I cried sitting there, knew what was happening. Like I know the end of this book. It's written so painfully. Again, I do really think this is like the, uh, meanest things I've ever written. It like mm, is so yeah. easily. Yeah. Uh, th- so I would say some of the closest things are probably like some of the ends of um, Crescent City one. I'll leave that vague. Yeah. But I think this hurts more because we love Dorian so much. <laughs> it's just, I, we love him so much. I mean, he, his, his story in this book doesn't really kind of like totally take off until the end. I would say mm-hmm. like he's there and he's like dealing with his he magic. He feels like he's spinning wheels for most of this book. Yeah. Which uh, it feels right. Like he's all yeah. by himself and having kind of a cute romantic subplot. Yeah. He has this, this lovely romance with sort of speaking of Fleetfoot. I love this moment. Fleetfoot. Oh, she's fine. Her legs healed beautifully. The hound now slept in his bed, of course, and bullied him for scraps and treats to no end. But it was nice to have some peace of his friend while she was gone. Oh, Dorian. <laughs> Dorian is also capital B baby. Baby. He's baby. He's baby. Oh, um, and just, I'm sorry, but this quote made me laugh so much. Um, talking about like while he's trying to woo Sorsha and like trying to give her gifts and stuff, but she doesn't want to accept. And he thinks he'd always been generous with his lovers. Usually he gave them gifts to keep them from complaining when he lost interest, but this time he genuinely wanted to give her things. Yeah. <laughs> Dorian. I love him. Yeah. The romance <laughs> is really sweet. She's loved him for a long time from afar. He, I think he's just really excited to see, have someone see him and accept him for who he is. Cause he's not getting that from his best friend right now. Mm-hmm. And Aylin left him. Although I love this moment. <laughs> I'm going to cry because at the beginning of the book, when he figures out who Selena actually is, that she's Aelin, you know, she says something to him at the end of the last book. Like, I won't forget about you. I'll come back for you. And he, then he's like, Oh shit. What does that mean? Now, like in this new context, like she's talking yeah. to my enemy. And then this is what he thinks instead. And he knew deep down that she had not blinked at his magic, but rather understood that burden and that fear 
she had not walked away or wished him to be anything but what he was. I'll come back for you. So he stared down his friend, even though he knew Kale was hurting in a drift and said, I've already made my decision about her. And when the time comes, regardless of whether you're here and Aniel, I hope your choice is the same as mine. And it was like, I love that so much. Again, we talked a lot before about like the friendships in this series are really important to me. And like the, the changes to the Dorian Kale, Selena slash Aylin, like friendship triangle is like one of my favorite things in this series. Yeah. So like to see him like without even her being there and explaining anything, he knows enough of who she is based on the time that they had together to make his choice about her. And like, he's just pure, he's pure of heart. And then like, it's so fucked up. At the end, he gets this collar put around his neck that we know is, is essentially like a possession. And to take somebody that is, has so far until now been just such a light, pure hearted, sweet, happy boy and to do this to him it's devastating i remember finishing this book the first time and being like oh no like there there is gonna be a really rough road ahead for him it's really upsetting there's no way this doesn't fundamentally change him you know Um, yeah and like i don't no no i don't want to speak ill of the death (laughs) like sorcia again i'm not her death is very upsetting uh but it's what it does to Dorian. The line where it's like he was crawling towards her head as though he could like reattach it to her body haunts me. Like, yeah. The the screen <laughs> that erupted <laughs> the screen that erupted out of Dorian was the worst sound that Kale had ever heard. Worse even than the wet, heavy thud of her head hitting the red marble. When I tell you that I gasped when I first read this, I like audibly out loud horrifyingly like just I gasped I was so horrified yeah rereading it I was like I know it's coming it's fine no it is just it's so viscerally written yeah it's so god-awful you can hear that scream you can hear that scream in your head you can hear that thump of her head it's just awful it's awful there's a moment too and it's kind of just a throwaway line but like you know they're very close to leaving when yeah, they he all was are literally running. grabbing her to to escape yeah. when the guards got them. Dorian thinks about how, like, he understands what Kale did for Selena because he would do it for Sorsha and <laughs> get her out. Mm-hmm. And, like, it just makes me really upset. Like, you know, for better or worse, and it's, it's ultimately going to be for better. I think we, that's not a spoiler to say, like, Kale got Selena out and it's there's rough roads ahead for them too because they both hurt each other a lot mm-hmm. but he got her out he saved her and Dorian couldn't do that and I'm really upset about it I'm really upset about it Sarah what did you do yeah it's I think it's it's honestly probably the most horrifying moment in this entire series and yeah. one of the most horrifying yeah. things that she's ever written. Yeah. It's so upsetting. But then we get after that. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier about the Kale and Dorian friendship stuff. He thinks Kale, this was the death that he could not endure. Like he can't lose Kale. Mm-hmm. And, and so, that's what makes it like, oh, it's too 
much for me to handle. It's too much for me to handle. And it's just so great. I think we both might have some of this written down quotes, so I won't spoil it in detail, but just like how there's moments where Kale clocks like, oh shit, like this isn't my friend Dorian the Prince anymore. This is a king. Like he is spewing king shit up in here. <laughs> and to like, get that at the end from Kale when he was like, no, like there's only one king in this room and it's not yeah. you. It's like, it's so good. Um, so I'm just, I'm really proud of my baby, baby. Oh, we have such a Dorian road ahead of us. I love him so much. I love him so much. Okay. Um, we need to move on, um, <laughs> to the main event, the titular era fire and, uh, her, her sparring companion trainer extraordinaire. <laughs> so I think we need to talk about a couple of things that are like the Rowan problem. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people coming into this book, A, have a lot of big Kale feelings. Kale's great. And the second book, like, it's a great love that they have. And so then you come in this book and we've got Rowan, who number one, as you pointed out, is her cousin very, very distantly. And I've had multiple people who particularly love Kale be like, wait, they're cousins? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so like... And then, like, he does punch her in the face, like, pretty early on. He definitely does punch her in the face. So, I, I this is a bad look for Rowan, for, for our boy Stop. Rowan, obviously. Yeah. But, <laughs> and I don't know how bad this sounds, but I don't think it's that bad. Um, I think to consider it really, really bad is a little bit sexist because you're placing them on uneven territory here and uneven yeah. footing. They're both warriors. Um, Selena has punched many a dude in the face and we have not felt bad for any of them. Um, punches him later in this book too. She, yeah, she does. And also before he punched her in the face, she did say something quite awful to him. They do say a lot of awful things to each other here. They yeah. both deserve punches in the face for it. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, it's not great. It's not a great look for our guy Rowan that he punches her in the face. Um, but I think it's worse that he calls her worthless and says that it would have been better if she died 10 years ago. That's not good. Easily much worse. Easily much yep. worse. Selena can take a punch. She don't she doesn't give a fuck about that punch. Um yeah. the, the the worthless thing, that's that's a much worse look, I think. I think the punch is not that bad. She's a warrior to to consider that like a horrible transgression that he did is I think uh given given Selena a little bit of disrespect. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally get it. And I'm I'm willing to look past a lot of things in my fantasy man that I would never done <laughs> in real life. And that's what happens with Rowan here. Because yeah. I ultimately think what's really more important to me is like the journey they go on in this book. I think another complaint about Rowan, and we've talked about this before on this series episodes, and then also like in our, some of our other episodes, like people say Rowan's kind of boring. He doesn't have much personality. And I agree with that because ultimately he is in this story as a counter tip, counterpoint to Aitlin. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's demonstrated by my notes that I took here today, which have a Aitlin section and then a row Aitlin section and no individual Rowan section. Same. So I originally wrote Rowan to give him a section and then realized I had nothing to put in it. And then I was like, oh, Corinne is right. Yeah. Yeah. Rowan doesn't get really any individual uh, development, which is fine in the end. I think I still really like him. I still really like their relationship. So it's fine. But uh, yeah, yeah, I because when you would first say that, I was like, I don't find Rowan boring. I don't find. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, he is kind of. 
I don't a, find him a boring character that lives and dies by Aelin. Yeah, he hundred percent does. He's the number one. He's the wife guy. That's mm-hmm. why we love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I say that in generic terms. Like, right? Yeah. Like he just is a hype man for this woman, and it takes some time to get there. And I think actually the most individual growth we get from Rowan is in this book because a lot of his own behavior towards Aelin early on is a reflection of his own self self-hate for what happened to his mate and what he let happen and his behavior after the fact Mm -hmm. you know one of the best things about Aelin's journey in this book is her reckoning with all the horrible things she's done not just to her her friends like she has a lot of guilt over Nahemia which I think is misplaced and internalized but I think more importantly over how she used becoming this powerful assassin to just totally dissociate from who she was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And she has to to grapple with that. And then that's like what Rowan kind of did too. He just dissociated and fucked off for years. And then he just, he, he took yeah. all these battles because he wanted this pride and this glory. And he forgot about his, his, his wife and his, his child that he was supposed to have. He didn't even notice he was having a child because he was so wrapped up in like his yeah. ego. His ego. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. And this quote from, uh, Aelin slash Selena. Um, she had she had taken Lady Marion's sacrifice and become a monster, almost as bad as the one who had murdered Lady Marion and her own family. That's why she could not did not go home. Um, and I just really loved that. I think the stripping down of Selena's artifice and her bravado, because you spend the first two books being like, oh, this girl is like she's a swaggery, she's an assassin, and that's all she wants to talk about is how she can kill people in a thousand different ways, and she's such a badass. And what we get here is her just completely stripped of all of that, and she's yeah. like, I am not proud of this. Yeah, um, this is not who I am. This is who she had. She was like, you know, forged into, like you said earlier, um, who she yeah. became at Arobin's knee, and I think it's just such a good point that. I didn't really think about it in those. Like, I definitely thought about it in terms of like, oh, Rowan obviously went on like a self-pity tour after everything happened with his wife. And, you know, that's why he's like lashing out at at Aelin. I think he's also lashing out at her because he's feeling something there. And there's a lot of guilt and uh, denial involved in that. And so he's lashing out at her for that too. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Well, he, he says this to her. Here's an idea. He growled, I don't know what the hell you've been doing for 10 years other than flouncing around and calling yourself an assassin, but I think you're used to getting your way. I think you have no control over yourself, no control and no discipline. Not the kind that counts deep down. You are a child and a spoiled one at that. And he said, those green eyes holding nothing but distaste, you are a coward. And like, that's who he was before like he mm-hmm. loses his, his family. And so they're definitely like seeing the worst in each other. and. Uh, it's just, it's so, it's so definitely done. And we talked about this off air, like how the first time you read this book, you're kind of like a little unmoored because you've got new characters like Manon and Rowan and Adian coming in. Selena is off in a whole different continent. She's not with her friends. And you're kind of like, what's happening? I want, I want to see, are they going to get back together in these books? Like are we, what's going to happen? And you're missing a lot of like the really important emotional journey that Rowan yeah. and Aelin are going on in this book. And it's so, so good. It's so good. It's so good. I think I messaged you. I was like, okay, so I liked Air of Fire when I first read it. I loved it this time. 
Yeah. I really like it. It hit me so much harder than it did the first time. Yeah. Because I think it's absolutely true that when you first read it, you're kind of just rushing through the plot and you're not really picking up all of this more subtle emotional work. Yeah. This moment, particularly I clocked this time around, it's after he sees her scars on her back from Indobier and he leaves and he then realizes that, that was like not the best thing to do in that situation. But he like, he's like freaks out and he's like flying. And he goes, um, she or he knew what the girl had gone through, knew she'd been a slave that day. That day early on, he threatened to whip the girl gods above and she had lost it. He'd been such a proud fool that he'd assumed she'd lashed out because she was nothing more than a child. He should have known better, should have known that when she did react to something like that, it meant the scars went deep. Like he has scars too. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how he's reacting because she's pushing against the scars for, so for them to continue to get to a point where she's asking him things like, how do you come back from that kind of loss? And he says, I didn't for a long while. I couldn't, I think I'm still not back. I might never be, but maybe we can find the way back together. Like, holy shit. Like, I don't care if his only, his only r- role here is to be her other half because this shit's so important. And she needs that. She needs it so much. It's so good. And like the encouragement he starts to give her. And and I think it, it is true. You can say like, we don't get enough of like how she helps him. She undoubtedly does. Um, But for him to start saying things to her, like she'd never been in control. Even if Selena control had been an illusion, other masters had held her reins. You are the keeper of your own fate. Rowan said softly from the shore as if he knew exactly what was flowing through her head. Like fine, be there in those moments and Mm -hmm. guide her because our girl needs it. And it's so important to her. Like no spoilers for the rest of the series, but like, obviously he continues to be that kind of presence in her life that and it's just the most necessary even you know if his character has to suffer by being just uh, just alien support system i'm okay with that yeah i I think it's an important role and he plays it really nicely (laughs) so well they're so emotionally vulnerable with each other and that's like from the very start they tell each other things that they don't tell anybody else even when they don't like each other and that is so telling yeah yeah, that's a really good point too. Yeah, they're sharing so much. She tells him so much and uh, until she can't, right? She like can't mm-hmm. she figures out where the third word key is and she's like, "Oh shit, I can't tell you because you're under Maeve's control still." And yeah. Um I love how she how subtly they play out the end of getting him to be freed from the uh blood oath to Maeve. I think it's, uh, it's so well done. Um and that scene like really speaks to me where he like basically like tricks her into making him like get the blood oath in that moment. Yeah, She's like, God yeah. damn it. I just freed you. I think He's, I wrote, I, I know a bottom when I see one. Because he, gets, I he, so. <laughs> he gets out of this, this blood oath with one woman and immediately like not even a second later, he's throwing himself at Selena's feet. And I'm like, or Aelin's feet. And basically like he sees like a hot, powerful woman and he's just like, step on me, which like yeah. same. So yeah. And, mm. and it's, he, so, Selena at the time hates it. He is 
only calling her Aelin. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, this is bullshit. He's and like, she, it's your name. I'm calling yeah. you by your name. And she needs that so much. And mm-hmm. I, God, like her journey in this book. It's like, <sighs> it's hard to believe that this is like what book three of the series. Yeah. But I think it's the most important part of her arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this reckoning with who she is. And I think you said to me when we were talking about this off air, it's like, it's so powerful to have this happen in the middle of the series because it it just makes everything else have so much more teeth. Everything else that she goes through, it's, it's like the external threats are there and she's not done with her emotional journey either, but she's done so much work in this book to reckon with who she is that it makes the rest of the journey just so much more powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important that she goes through this. She needed to go through this now so that she could handle the rest. Yeah. Because the rest is going to be hard. Um, We're barely still cracking the surface of this entire arc, but she needed to have this emotional battle with herself, essentially, for this whole book. It was so important, so important, so smart to get it done now and to not have her dealing with her trauma plus everything that's happening later in the books. And I love how early on we're getting this idea of like, how would they react if they knew the thing she'd done? She's thinking about all these people mm-hmm. in Terrison, like the, the sacrifice that Lady Marion made and like, what has she made her life into? That's how she repays that sacrifice. So it's like, she has that like self pity thing going on and mm-hmm. self-hatred, which is like very valid that she feels that way. But she also has this shield she's put up as selena to not deal with the fact that she was this super powerful child that no one knew how to deal with selena sardothian gloriously mortal selena never had to worry about accidentally scorching a playmate or having a nightmare that might incinerate her bedroom or burning all of orange to the ground selena had been everything aelin wasn't she had embraced that life even if selena's accomplishments were death and torture and pain like ah all those flashbacks to Selena's yeah. childhood and just seeing how like flummoxed her parent, even her parents, yeah, were with her. Like they just didn't know what to do with her, and like, and so of course she gets. This is why this this place this placement of like this book and this arc for her is so important here, because as we're obviously going to be in the future exploring Aelin's power more, like we need her to like kind of relive this old trauma about it because she obviously has a lot of hangups about the power and her inability to control it. She has a lot of fear about yeah. her own, her own power and her own capabilities. Yeah. And if she's ever going to be able to harness that and, you know, save the fucking world, she needs to go through this now. She needs to do it now. Can't yeah. happen later. And it's really interesting for me to see like this push and pull between the moments that she like really embraces who she really is. Like when she like finally has that scene where she like switches into her mortal body and they run and she thinks like she could die for this love of speed, the surety in her bones. How had she been afraid of this body for so long? And like, she's very exalted in that moment, but this like passage, this kill me. I'm going to read the whole thing. Cause I didn't read the summary. So y'all gonna listen to me talk for a second. Cause I think this is just so important. 
There is this rage, she said hoarsely, this despair and hatred and rage that lives and breathes inside me. There is no sanity to it, no gentleness. It is a monster dwelling under my skin. For the past 10 years, I've worked every day, every hour to keep that monster locked up. And the moment I talk about those two days and what happened before and after that, that monster is going to break loose and there will be no accounting for what I do. That is how I was able to stand before the King of Adderlon, how I was able to befriend his son and his captain, how I was able to live in that palace because I did not give that rage, those memories one inch. And right now I am looking for the tools that might destroy my enemy. And I cannot let out the monster because it will make me use those tools against the King, not put them back as I should. And I might very well destroy the world for spite. So that is why I must be Selena, not Aelin, because being Aelin means facing those things and unleashing that monster. Do you understand? Like (laughs) it's, and that's so built up because of the things that you said, like her parents didn't know what to do. And she has this like intense power. And and she, as Selena has already kind of become monstrous. So what if she lets Aelin out too? And like, Mm -hmm. it is horrifying. Like kind of some of the things that she does in this book, like she, if she could have, she would have set Doranelle on fire, like at the end. Yeah. Like to get her and run out of there, she would have. So that's what's going to become really interesting going forward. Obviously, she's our hero, and we know that Aelin is a good person, but she's still going to always be fighting this like power balance and like what it means and how she does have this rage within her. I yeah. think that's why you and I really like her because vengeful rage is like such an, an interesting emotion. To have. And it's not one that we get a lot with uh, female protagonists. Yeah. And how she has to deal with that. I mean, uh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. One of the things they call her later in the series is fire breathing bitch queen. And it's like, well, she is fire breathing bitch queen. Like she is, but that's what makes her great. Yeah. Uh, and how she, how she struggles with that and, and what that means. So it's just like, I think that's such a good point so. because if she did have magic back then, like she wouldn't have had the self-control to keep herself in check, which is like you said, something that she's going to have to deal with in the future is like always keeping that in the back of her mind to keep herself in check. And um, if she like before going through this arc that she goes through in this book, she would not have been able to, even if she had had access to her magic, she would have been out of control. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. But this is like at the end then. And I think this is just such a great, like put a bow on it moment. Mm -hmm. The power wasn't in might or skill. It was in the control. The power lay in controlling herself. She'd known all along how vast and deadly her fire was. And a few months ago, she would have killed and sacrificed and slaughtered anyone and anything to fulfill her vow. Mm -hmm. But that hadn't been strength. It had been the rage and grief of a broken, crumbling person. So she's learning Mm -hmm. that balance. And I'm so It's just so important. Like (laughs) where she ends up in this book is in a place of like, such so much better like self-acceptance and and love and she says uh yeah this was not the end this was not her end she had survived loss and pain and torture she had survived slavery and hatred and despair she would survive this too because hers was not a story of darkness so she was not afraid of that crushing black not with the warrior holding her not with the courage that having one true friend offered a friend who made living not so awful after all not if she were him and i mean first of all like (laughs) But, know, um, right? <laughs> but also like her 
saying like this, my story is not one of darkness. And you compare that to how she is in the beginning of this book where she's just like, fuck it. She's like, I don't care if you kill me. I don't care if I die. She's in that place where she was in Endovia, where she's just like ready for that, you know, death by cop kind of thing that she was going for there. And, uh, and, and just at the end where she's getting her beloved dead tattooed on her and she thinks uh, no longer would they be locked away in her heart. No longer would she be ashamed. Like, this is a good book. <laughs> this, this is really so much fun. better than I gave it credit for. Fuck. It's yeah. so good. I know I changed my ring to five stars because I was like feeling all mm-hmm. the feelings yesterday. It's a really good book. I like yeah. it a lot. Um, I did remember like more Ronan Aylin cuddling. And I think I just like wanted that. Like there was not any. They mm-hmm. were just like in the bed. Like there was one. There is one. Is there? And it's in my uh, swoon. Oh yeah, you're I right. Mean, it's, I think it's it's more like hand holding, but it's still right. Yes, you know. I'll I don't take know why it. I thought like there was like bodies <laughs> pressed against each other. This is just like a wish. It's just our, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the fan fiction we're writing in our heads at all time. There's like a moment too where she's like, "Huh, he is attractive," <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. and like, she's like, "He would never want to take me to bed," and I obviously have no interest. No. But for some reason, every time a woman comes around him, I feel like snarling at them, and I'm like, "Bitch, yeah, it's <laughs> a crush, babe." Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So fun times. It makes me sad that he doesn't go with her then, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just going to make, you know, future books even better. I know. I know. I think we uh, moved through that all pretty succinctly. Actually, I'm proud of us. I feel like we've wrapped it up. I think we're ready for superlatives unless you've got anything else. I I think I'm ready to go. Uh, We will do superlatives and then do a quick, like a little spoiler section. Spoiler section. Yes. Okay, great. All right. Favorite quote. Uh, let me see here. I have one, two, three, four. You have one, two, three, four, five. So you go first and we will rotate All around. Favorite quote. Why do we even call it favorite quote just, when there are minimum seven every time? <laughs> My favorite uh, 15 chapters of the book. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's here's that one that I was talking about earlier with Manon that I think is one of the most beautiful passages that uh, Sarah J. Mass has ever written. She had not understood what it had been like for him to live his entire life underground, chained and beaten and crippled until then, until she heard that noise of undiluted, unyielding joy, until she echoed it, tipping her head back to the clouds around them. They sailed over a sea of clouds and Abraxas dipped his claws in them before tilting up to ra- tilting to race up a wind-carved column of cloud, higher and higher until they reached its peak and he flung out his wings in the freezing, thin sky, stopping the world entirely for a heartbeat. And Manon, because no one was watching, because she didn't care, Flung her arms out as well and savored the free fall. The wind now a song in her ears and her shriveled heart. It just gets me right in my shriveled heart. Really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, this is from Rowan. And I think it's very emblematic of everything that Aileen goes through in this book and what he is to her and her his support that he gives her. Let it be a blade, Aileen. If you cannot find the peace then at least hone the anger that guides you to the shift. Embrace and control it. It is not your enemy. And that's like what this whole book is about, right? Like her figuring out how to deal with this anger and this rage that she has inside her. Um, also, it just makes me think of how much better of a line it is than I am become a blade. I was which literally is- just thinking. <laughs> Male's back tattoo in the Shadow Trilogy. <laughs> no. 
This is the blade reference I want going forward. So <clears throat> your turn. Okay. Kale closed his eyes for a moment. A part of me will always love her, but I had to get her out of this castle because it was too dangerous. And she was what she was becoming. She was not becoming anything different from what she always was and always had the capacity to be. You just finally saw everything. And once you saw that other part of her, Dorian said quietly, it had taken him until now, until Sorsha, to understand what that meant. You cannot pick and choose what parts of her to love. Just Dorian. Fucking babe. You dropped, you dropped, you dropped this crown king. <laughs> we love Dorian. He's so good. <clears throat> Maybe she had been a fool to love a man who served the king, but Cal had been what she needed after losing Sam, after surviving the mines. But these days, she didn't know what she needed, what she wanted. It felt like if she felt like admitting it, she actually didn't have the faintest clue who the hell she was anymore. All she knew was that whatever and whoever climbed out of that abyss of despair and grief would not be the same person who had plummeted in. And maybe that was a good thing. It was a big moment. And, you know, this is like the one book in the series that has like no kissing. Like she kisses no one. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah. And I think that that's like really important. Like, you know, you're building a very important foundation, but like you need that time for yourself and we're getting that here and i think it's just like really important don't worry guys we still found a lot of swoon so <laughs> we good yeah all right at least if you're going to hell he said the vibrations in his chest rumbling against her then we'll be there together i feel bad for the dark god already Love it's it. cute cute rowan yep. alien stuff Cute. Oh. You gave me the truth today, so I'll share mine. Even if it manifests being friends again, I don't think I would want to go back to how it was before, who I was before. And this, he jerked his chin towards the scattered crystals in the bowl of water. I think that this is a good change too. Don't fear it. Dorian laughed and Kale opened his mouth, but no words came out. He was too stunned. When Dorian had spoken, it hadn't been a prince who looked at him. It had been a king. A baby. <laughs> I love him. Okay. I will call in every favor, every debt owed to Selena Sardothian, to my parents, to my bloodline. And then she looked toward the sea, toward home. And then I'm going to rattle the stars. So oh. iconic, iconic Aelin quote. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. This is Kale. I will not go to Aniel, he growled, and I will not serve you a moment longer. There is one true king in this room. There always has been, and he is not sitting on that throne. Dorian stiffened, but Cal went on. There is a queen in the north, and she has already beaten you once. She will beat you again and again, because what she represents and what your son represents is what you fear most, hope. You cannot steal it no matter how many you rip from their homes and enslave, and you cannot break it no matter how many you murder. And like, honestly... I want to stand up and cheer for Kale Westfall mm -hmm. in that moment because it is so good. It's such a good moment. And then we get like that um, kind of like epilogue almost chapter where it doesn't really say him by name, but he like throws away the sword with the eagle on it. And he just yeah. has, uh, what's his name's sword? Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. The old uh, one from the yeah. tombs or whatever. You know, Gabriel's I mean. sword or something. Yeah, I think one of them. No, okay. uh, Gabriel's one of the Gabriel's, or Yeah, um, Gavin. Guy. Gavin. 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 Okay. You know, close enough. Anywho, <laughs> we're such professionals. You know, <laughs> professional. Okay. <laughs> one more. 
She lifted her face to the stars. She was Aelin Ashriver Galathinius, heir of two mighty bloodlines, protector of a once glorious people and queen of Terrison. She was Aelin Ashriver Galathinius, and she would not be afraid. What an end to this motherfucking book. What a fucking arc, though. Like, that is just... Oh, and just bringing it back to the Sam. It's just, this is another reason why I'm I'm pissed that I did not read uh, Assassin's Blade before this because it would have, you know, it's so much more impactful yeah. knowing where she got that. Yeah, Ugh, good, good shit, good shit. All right, um, Ark character. I mean, like Ark is Aelin in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, she goes from Selena to Aelin. She embraces yeah. Aelin. Like, there's no contest there. Um, right. I'm gonna shout out my secondary favorite to Kale. Good stuff in this book. I'm going to shout out my secondary favorite to Manon. Excellent. Great work. All right, soon. Uh, All right, you have more than me. I'm just going to read my Oh my God, you just, yeah. Will you, okay. I I know, I came in and swooped. You swooped big time, friend. That's okay, (laughs) with those around comes around, I suppose. We kind of already (laughs) read this one, but it's all I got, so I'm going to read again. Yet this was not the end. This was not her end. She had survived loss and pain and torture. She had survived slavery and hatred and despair. She would survive this too, because hers was not a story of darkness. So she was not afraid of that crushing black, not with the warrior holding her, not with the courage that having one true friend offer, a friend who made living not so awful after all, not if she were with him. And like, I think, as I said before, like, it's really important in this book just to have that friendship. And I think when you read something like that and really Aelin's friendships with so many other people, that's why like in retrospect, the Nahemia stuff doesn't really work for me because it's like, this is, this is there's so much. Yeah. It's it's so, it's such a a depth of feeling and emotion there. And it just, it's friendship swoon. And I love Mm it. hundred percent. I wish I had read like the notes before I had no idea that you had them. I feel bad for reading it earlier, but that's all right. It's it worth, it's worth reading twice. It is. It is fair enough. All right. She yawned and Rowan rubbed his eyes, his other hand still in hers, but he didn't let go. And when she awoke before dawn, warm and safe and rested, Rowan was still holding her hand clasped to his chest. Something molten rushed through her, pouring over every crack and fracture still left gaping and open, not to her or Mar, but to weld, to forge. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. She talks a lot about this like hole that she has in her and how it mm-hmm. cracks open and stuff. And so proud to be filled at that moment it was good. Do you want me to read one for you? I will. Yeah, go for it. Which one? You can read this next one. Oh, jeez, guys, you're going to give me this one. Okay. <laughs> He had come for her. She held his case as she grabbed her own dagger and cut her palm right over the scar she'd given herself at Nehemia's grave. And though she knew he could read the words on her face, she said, to whatever end. He nodded and she joined hands with him, blood to blood, soul to soul. His other arm coming around to grip her tightly, their hands clasped between them. He whispered into her ear, I claim you too, Haley Galathinius. Yeah. Just it's, so to whatever end just like really just speaks to me on a very mm-hmm. soul deep level. The first moment they talk about it here too, it, earlier in the book is very impactful. And that too, this is like when they have the, what is it? Karanum, 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 Karanum. That's how right. I said it in my head. I don't know. Uh, that bond in that moment is, is so good. And it's just like coming in the heels of earlier, he's like, I don't know what we are, but we're not friends. Like, but I'll stick this out with yeah. you. Like for him to be like, I claim you too. It's just a big old swoon. It is. And it is such an important foundation of like their relationship is that they do have that 
really deep friendship and that like just unimpeachable trust in each other. Yeah. All right. Read the last one. Yes. He looked at his friend perhaps for the last time and said what he had always known from the moment they'd met when he'd understood that the prince was his brother and soul. I love you. Dorian merely nodded, eyes still blazing, and lifted his hands again toward his father. Brother, friend, king. Uh, like I said, this is a platonic swoon technically, but like Sarah, this is gay. It is so gay. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. Okay. Although, however, I have to point out, this is now two books in a row where Cal has told another character that he loves them and they don't say it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tough break. Tough break for Cal. Dorian just nodded like he has so much love to give and no one will take it. Um, anyway, uh, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, if you're reading along with us for the first time, come back in a couple weeks, turn this off now because we're gonna talk about some spoiler things that came up in this in this read here today. Um, so turn back now. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next book in this series, Queen of Shadows. If you're on for the spoiler train or just know what's coming, uh, stick around here and we'll chat about some spoilers. All right. So I just want to say, because I just like read this quote and it's, it's fresh in my mind. I did start reading Queen of Shadows last night after I finished Air Fire because I was like, I need more immediately. And it is very frustrating to see how Kale and Aelin interact with each other on the heels of him saying, like, there's a queen in the north and like she stands for hope. Yeah. Like, because he's just like, I'm not going to tell you how to bring down magic because we're going to use it against us. And like, yeah. there's so very clearly just like, mad at each other they're just sniping at each other like but it's really hard to to read it coming off of that immediately yeah no a thousand percent and like the thing about both of them is that they are the type to lash out in their in their like hurt feelings or in anger like if kale looks at her funny she's just like i'll fuck your mother you know like immediately just it's zero to a thousand and and he's the same way like they are just so on edge with each other and it's it's understandable like it's easy to be like yeah she's a queen and blah blah blah, when she's not there and then you see her again and you're like oh yeah i forgot she broke my heart um i'm all feely hurty yeah yeah and that's what frustrates me when people are like uh cal like there's there's like two ways people react to this right it's like Mm -hmm. One Cal sucks. I never liked him and like, fuck that guy or two people really, really like him. And then they get like mad at Sarah for like writing him as like being a complex person. Like, yeah. how dare you besmirch Cal? Cal would never say that. And it is frustrating. Kind of reminds me about like how continually frustrated we were speaking of the Raven cycle. Like when we talked through that episode, we talked about Adam Parrish a very frustrating character to be with at times who we love so deeply. And that's how Cal feels in this moment. You're just like human foibles, bro. Yeah. Come on. Come on now. And like Aylin's guilty of it too. Like it just, it it feels different because it feels like at the end of era fire, like he's like, I've embraced it. Like Dorian told me, like, I need to accept it. And Adian told me I had to accept it. And I have to accept all this change. And here I am. I accepted the change. And he's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. He sees the change again. He's like, 
fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're both just I mean it's it's equal. Like she equal. Oh, she is immediately nasty to him too. They're just, you know, they're kind of petty little kids right now and it's fine. They went through a kind of a rough breakup and that's fair. She gets like really mad at him again for like as soon as he heard about the wiping out of the slaves in Endovir, he should have gotten Dorian and Sorsha out. So he like, she's immediately blaming him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, like, girl, you were not there. So like, I have enough frustration with both of them to go around. Oh yeah. But yeah, so that was just jumping back to back. I was like, God <laughs> damn, this is a tough look. They're, they're so young still. They're babies. Yeah. Um, speaking of being so young, should we talk about when Gabrielle's like, how old are you? And she's like, I just turned 19. He's like, good luck. <laughs> I know. He's, yeah. Um, the, the like combination of like sadness and relief that he, that he seems to feel in that moment when he realizes like, okay, this is not my child. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. That's a fun little hint for what is to come. And also just kind of a very fraught relationship. That is uh, a real bummer. Yeah. For me to read. Yeah. Should we talk about the mating bond? <laughs> because it's there. Like when you're reading this, you're like, um, I don't understand how, because it feels like Rowan kind of picks up on it because like, why are they mind speaking? Like, and why are they not really acknowledging the fact that they're mind they're having full? It's not just like, oh, he looked like, like he was thinking about something like this. It's more like, oh, he was thinking this dialogue. And so I thought this dialogue right back at him and we just continued and they're just, you know, that doesn't seem weird to you guys. (laughs) That doesn't seem like a little unusual. I don't know. I do think it is very clever for Sarah to have this whole like, however, Karen, not Karen or whatever thing, because they call it the the Karen. Yeah, there we go. My my bond. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very clever plot device from Sarah because it like, establishes this very intensive connection that can kind of explain away that it's actually like a mating bond situating things. Um, so I think that's really good, but yeah, like you pointed out, Aelin being like totally feral over, uh, Rowan and like <laughs> other women looking at him this too. I wrote my notes, um, that this is a totally normal, not mate like reaction. He felt his magic and his warrior's instinct honing into a lethal combination the longer he stared, howling to rip apart people who had done that with his bare hands. Then he just left, hardly making it out of the bass before he shifted and soared into the night. It's just like <laughs> the idea of someone like hurting his mate is really interesting. I do think too, there's a lot of like clever stuff with like she asks him, like, if you could kill your mate. And he's like, I don't really think you could, is basically what it says. You could hurt them terribly. And she's thinking about Kale in that moment about how, like, she basically would have killed him if Dorian yeah. hadn't stopped her. But, like, it explains how, like, she and Rowan could beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> like, you can really um, try to wound each other. But then she has a moment, too, where she's just like, why was it different this time he pressed? Because I didn't want you to die to save me. And, like, you can explain that away as like a friendship thing. And she definitely has moments of, of that type of self-sacrifice mm-hmm. thing. I mean, she like basically does that at the end where she like goes against the general and like, knows she's going to die. Like she definitely has like a, a sacrificial lamb complex going on sometimes, yeah. especially when she doesn't feel great about herself. But I think it's just really interesting that she says 
Like she's not ruined to die. Especially because in that moment she did hate him. Like, yeah, like he had said something awful to her and she left. I think it was when he was like, you should have died 10 years ago. And she's like, you're a bitch. And she left. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For her to still be that uh, unwilling to, to bring him to possible harm. Yeah. Especially knowing like if, if she, like he could have shifted and flown away. Yeah. And yeah, as you, I think you put in your notes too, something it was made me laugh about. Like, I was just like, we're going to live together now. <laughs> yeah. Just the most feeble excuses to be like, like she gets hurt and he's like, okay, so you'll, you know, or he realizes the scars on her back and he's like, right, you're going to stay in my room now because, you know, he feels bad about the scars, feels bad about being a dick to her, feels bad that her room is cold. You could build a fire in her room if you were that concerned about it, give her some better blankets. He, she doesn't, and he's like, you're going to sleep on a cot. And but like, how is that better than like comfy blankets yeah. and a fire in her own room? But then she like, never sleeps on the cot. She never sleeps in a cot. It's, <laughs> it's because you wanted her near you at all times. Yeah. And like their whole thing is very cute. It's when very she's like, you know, planting a big smacking kiss on his cheek and yeah, he acts all snarly about it. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're so cute. I like it a lot. Um, I have a lot of notes here about the Maeve stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, instances in this book where Aelin is thinking about, like, is speaking to Maeve and thinking about her spider smile. Like, so many instances. There's also, uh, there were legends whispered over fires about the other skin Maeve wore. No one had ever, no one had lived to tell anything beyond shadows and claws and darkness to devour your soul. All of these are really good hints as to Maeve's origin, really good hints as to the spiders, um, her origin also with like the spiders being her minions from their other dark world or whatever. Um, the spiders calling Manon sister when um, the witches were made from Valg, like they have Valg ancestry. Um, it's really good, really cleverly planted, I think, because it does seem very like excusable. With other things. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I think. Oh, uh, yeah. The spider, the spider okay. talking about uh, Lysandra's uncle. Oh, yeah. And being like, uh, you know, he didn't realize that he sold when he sold me 20 years of his life, some of his gifts passed to me. I can't use them, of course, but I wonder, I do wonder what it would be like to see the world through your pretty eyes to touch a human man. And I just wrote, yo, my good friend Dorian Havillier with like a word. Mm-hmm. Oh, One other thing I think I want to point out. No, it's gone. I didn't really have a lot of like spoilery plot thoughts other than the meat stuff. Because I was obviously yeah. looking at it this time being like, what are the signs here? Mm-hmm. Um, it's still fucking horrible what Maeve does to Rowan. And yeah. Lir- Lyria, what? Yeah, I think it's her name. Yeah, R.I.P. The uh, another Dorian and Manon hint, I think, well, sort of, is um the spider saying to Manon that beauty could win you a king. Perhaps if magic returns, I'll use it for my woman's body. Perhaps I'll win a king of my very own. And I'm just like, yeah, that that beauty can win a king. And uh, my good friend Dorian Hilliard would all would like another word. I would like to briefly throw out this batshit theory. Okay. Just I'm just gonna throw it out there. We're in the spoiler section. So I'm just going to the end of the series here. Dorian's king. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got Irene being like, you guys should just get married. And Manon's like, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I would like super happy if that happened for them, but I don't think that that will ever happen for them. But one of the things Kale says in this book to Sorsha is like, this kingdom could use a healer as its queen. And I'm just like vaguely, if you don't want to know anything about Crescent City at all, Crescent City one, two, turn back now. I promise this is like the end of the podcast. We'll see you next time for Queen Shadows. So with that warning, scatter away. <laughs> but like as these worlds are like combining, we talked in our Crescent City 2 episode about how like Dorian is the one character whose like arc feels not like incomplete, but like, is he going to be totally content being king of Adderall? And he doesn't give a shit about it. I don't think, you know, who does yeah. really give a, a time? Kale. Kale cares a lot about Adderall and his wife is a healer. Love this theory. I'm just <laughs> wondering again, I think she's really done with Throne of Glass and she has it set up in such a way that like, we can get funny Easter eggs of Throne of Glass in the Crescent City universe without bringing these characters in. But I do think the one character whose arc is least settled is Dorian's. And I just think that if he goes off and he does something else, maybe to help this other planet that's being invaded by the thing that possessed him, he's the only one in the story. And his girlfriend has ancestry from these dudes and they are terrified of her. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, I don't think that this is long game, like necessarily plotting, but I'm just throwing it out there because Kale talks so much in this book about protecting the people of Adderlon. And so like, I think he would be a great king, Mm -hmm. way more. Dorian's never been interested in it. He has been interested in it in the fact that like, he knows his brother would be bad. Right. Like, and he definitely would be. And he still has this piece of darkness within him throughout the rest of the series because of his possession in this book. So, like, I don't know. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on. Here we are in March 2022. (laughs) I'm co-signing this this theory. I love it. Um, Thank you. I did have another uh, CC2 observation. Uh, So, again, like, don't listen to this if you haven't read if you haven't read them. Um, but when they describe uh, when the Vag described their their home world as a realm of eternal dark and ice and wind, um, and we have been very, waiting a very very long time to taste your sunshine again. I really want to go back to CC two and um, find the description of the Asteria's home world because I feel like they did give like a a small description of it. Fuck this tune. I did look and I did not find a specific description of their world, but I didn't go back really far. I went back to that room where like, yeah, uh, where, where Bryce goes and she's reading like, you know, 1200. It's not BC, but I'm saying BC. BC, Like we went to this planet, like they rebelled against us or like this planet, like the soil didn't work. And I was like, there was no description of their planet. Per se, but I also kind of was looking at it. I'm like, none of these seem like Aurelia, so I don't know. I don't know. I actually maybe should go back and look at the dates because we do get dates, and like, if we can figure out if any of those is Aurelia, we'll have an idea of where Throne of Glass is within the potential time frame. Yeah, of Crescent City too. Maybe I'll look into that for next week. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I right, we're like that. 
uh, it's like always sunny in Philadelphia. Hundred percent. Give of like the guy with the string yeah, of yarn that's wall. Where, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. So good chat. Good book. Yeah. I like that. Good book. Um, I'm excited to keep going on this journey with Queen of Shadows, which starts with a haunting prologue about Dorian, who doesn't remember his oh, name. God. Or any of the people in his life. Um, oh God, I remember that. Oh, it's very upsetting. Um, we are very excited uh, for the rest of our journey here with Third of Glass. We have guests. Lots of fun, fun we have guests. Lots of fun guests. So tune back in next time. We have uh, a guest. If you like Third of Glass, maybe you know this person. Um, but yeah, we've uh, got that coming up. That'll be out in probably about two weeks, I think is the plan. Uh, mm-hmm. And then after that, we're finally going to get back to some non Sarah J. Mass content. So uh, stay tuned for that announcement and look on our socials for that. <laughs> I'm just laughing at us promising that we were going to do one Sarah J. Mass episode a month. And we've done like four back to back now. We're such liars. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're having fun. That's all that matters. Yes. You know, this is, this is for us really at the end of the day. It truly is. So Tejo, with that in mind, where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at ActuAge. And you can shoot us an email if you'd like at ActuAgePod at gmail.com. Keep those ratings and reviews coming in on Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate that. Other than that, friends, we'll see you in a couple of weeks for Queen of Shadows. Bye, friends. Bye.